Hello, and welcome to another episode of Sidereal Fire, a podcast about philosophy, magic, and uh, magic. Um, this is episode three on divination. My name is Lauren, as you may remember. I'm Kat. I'm Tyler. So it's fall. How are you guys liking fall so far? It is my favorite season. It's pretty much my favorite season, too. All the trees are really gorgeous right now. Samhain was last weekend. We had our celebration last weekend with a bonfire, some very good apple wine, some fall festive foods. Uh, it was quite nice. I think it is really important for those kind of seasonal holidays to spend some time outside for them, to go sit out. And it, it's because the whole, the, whole, like, the whole reason they're there is to keep you in mind of the changing of the seasons kind of thing. Especially Samhain being a big part of the ritual is bonfires, which we can't do a bonfire because we live in the city, but we had the closest thing we could get. It was nice. I mean, even if you lived in a house, you couldn't do a bonfire indoors. You'd have to, like, live in a literal Viking longhouse to do that. Well, no, I mean, normally if you live in the country, you could make a big bonfire in your yard. Outside, yes. Okay, Kat. So anyways, one of the major ways to celebrate Samhain is with divination. Tyler, why is that? Uh, this is because if you're looking at, at neo-paganism, uh, you, you always have uh, the great goddess and the horned god, and they have, they have different roles and different things that they're kind of doing in each holiday. But Samhain is the big day for the horned god. It's, it's, it's mostly his deal. And that's because he's the god of the harvest, but uh, because he's the god of death. Uh, but also, like, he is the hunter who stalks outside of time. Uh, Interesting. He, uh, the the great goddess is the materialized manifest world, and the horned god is those things that are transcendent of reality, uh, outside of uh, things that are potential and possible. But and so, if you're wanting the most common topics of divination, which are asking about the dead or the future, it's kind of where you want to be. Right. So he's sort of the god that facilitates that. Right. Okay. So, Kat, what is divination? Well, divination is any kind of belief or technique across all cultures which involve uh, unknown facts, futures, or information being revealed through non-standard means. Okay. And what are some methods that we can use for divination? I know tarot is a big one. You know, using cards to create a narrative to either predict the future or answer a personal question or something. What would some other ones be, Tyler? Right. So, yeah, uh, definitely tarot and related forms of cardamancy are the most popular. But also way up there at the moment is the pendulum. It's very popular, um, which involves dangling an object, usually a crystal of some kind, from a chain from your hand, uh, which you do not actively control you focus on the pendulum instead of moving your hand and pose it questions usually yes no questions unless you're uh overly complicating it um and see how the the swinging of the pendulum changes because it will through 
no uh, intentional conscious effort, move from like a back and forth swinging pattern to a circular one. Okay. And this is how you get your yes-no responses. Okay. Um, and I think another one is dowsing. Oh, uh, yeah. The, uh, the technique for searching for anything hidden, most often underground water or minerals, by observing the motion of a forked stick, the rotation of a pair of metal rods, or the changes in the direction of a pendulum. Could you maybe explain a little more about that? Yeah, uh, so dowsing is kind of an extension of these things that is specifically location-based. It's finding where something is, and so it's it's very concrete. You're 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 uh, dousing comes out like playing a game of like hot and cold with yourself, right? Um, and this is something that weirdly is still very widely practiced, even up into the corporate world, with oil and water companies employing active dousers to find things for them. Is this because there's some sort of, like, scientific truth to this that was known basically before we actually understood the science of it? Uh, it's really difficult to say. If so, we still don't understand the science of it. Okay. Uh, one interesting thing that we can say is that dousing has high success rates in field tests and does not exceed chance rates in controlled laboratory situations. So whatever is happening, it is feedback from something that is missing in sterilized lab conditions. Whether that's unconscious cues for the reader or some kind of environmental interaction that's being exploited. Eh, I don't know. But something's missing there in a laboratory study. Since those don't return results above chance. But meanwhile, uh, a while ago the German government funded a, a large-scale study on the success of dousing, uh, sending dousers to look for water in arid locations, more than 2,000 individual sites, uh, <clears throat> across the lo Sri Lanka and Zaire and Kenya, and that mm -hmm. area. Uh, in Sri Lanka alone, over 691 test sites, uh, dousers had a 96% success rate. That's actually really impressive. That's, I mean, that's the level of like scientific precision it, instruments. It is. Maybe even better than some of them. And this is an area that's known for having uh, very, very difficult to drill wells because the existing aquifers will be only a few feet wide. And if you're off, you by even a few like feet, you won't get anything. Yeah, you miss the whole deposit of water. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's very interesting. So clearly there are some practical applications in the future, but what would these be used for in the past? Um, obviously, it would be a lot more supernatural, right? Like Right. Uh, people were very superstitious about it in the past. These days, it's much more speculation on, like, if large deposits of different substances change the electromagnetic field of the Earth nearby... Uh, if dowsers are responding to subconscious cues of like being able to smell small changes in the hydration in the air. It's questions like that that people are asking now. And before it was like, I'm using a rowan wand because the fairies that live in the rowan trees will guide me to the secret <laughs> treasures. It, I mean, you know, there could still be fairies out there. There could. Uh, we should not. We should not offhand discount the existence of tree fairies. Maybe they're all just used car dealers now, <laughs> making making really bad car deals. 
<laughs> that sounds like fairies, yeah. So, Kat, I think you had an anecdote about divination? Well, my dad, who um, is like this uh, southern handyman, everyman uh, kind of thing, where he does like plumbing, electricity, and basically anything you take a wrench to, more or less. And I think he actually worked for like a well drilling company at one point, at least a little bit. Uh, because he actually did this. He he could douse and douse really well, believed in it 100%. But he was a really skeptical man. He was an atheist. He uh, kind of had that uh, always learning and always improving mindset you find with uh, people kind of sort of in academia. Uh, and, like, it's kind of surprising that to, to think about something like dousing where we don't actually have any understanding of what's going on here being something that he would just pick up and use as any other tool. Um, so like, uh, going back and talking about how effective it is in the field, uh, clearly it's something that is a useful skill for someone who finds themselves, uh, being the kind of like weekend warrior type, uh, like he did. Yeah. That, that's interesting that it's more, you know, it's a form of divination that's more useful in the real world than maybe most people would expect. Well, I mean, I feel like statistics is basically a form of divination as well. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's a take. Um, how does that go? How is um, statistics a form of divination? How is it a form of divination? Um, it's probably not a non-standard way these days, but I swear sometimes it feels like statistics and machine learning and big data set crunching feels like a uh, kind of math of magic where you take some data that's kind of nebulous and you push it into uh, a formula that kind of self-corrects itself into like a an answer to a question. Um, and people kind of run with that a lot of the times, even though uh, like sometimes you might get like highly incompetent answers and you'll get lots of deviations and variations and problems in your system that don't conform to this uh you know it seems to work for or it seems to be how people treat uh decision making in some forms and fashions especially talking about like the algorithm for youtube the the answer is 42 and nobody thought to ask what the question was <laughs> um so how about some of the other forms of divination? Like, I know tarot is a relatively modern invention coming about around the, I think, 18th, 19th centuries. Mm -hmm. But other there are other forms of the similar concept, concepts, such as, like, runes would be sort of similar to how tarot cards work. Uh, rune stones are really interesting because they're one of the very few places where you get a a divination system that is also itself a magic system. You cast runes to reveal the future, but at the same time, people use runes actively for magic because they say this rune uh, means prosperity. And if I draw it randomly when I'm casting runes, that's a sign of prosperity. But if I engrave it on the door of my house, my house will be more prosperous. And Interesting. So it, it's, it simultaneously serves both functions, and that's really interesting. Uh, to the point that I have seen several Norse pagans argue that divination by runes does not reveal the future, it dictates the future. 
when you are casting your runes out, you're saying this is what's going to happen. Oh, so you, so yeah, so instead of normally we think of predicting the future as like there's a plan. The future is already planned out. It's going to happen in these ways. Right. But they're saying, "No, we're creating our future." Yes. Uh and and this is this is a very common belief in divination. The future is open and has many possibilities, and we are in control of this to some degree. So the question now is, how does one use these techniques today in an era where most people don't believe that there are fairies or other magical beings who are laying out a mystical path where everything is predetermined and can be predicted? Um... So to me, the main value in this isn't necessarily as some sort of mystical practice, but rather these are tools that you can use to sort of help your brain think out problems in different ways. Like that's one thing that tarot is really good for. You can, if you have a problem that you don't really fully understand or you don't know how to wrap your head around, you can lay out tarot cards to basically help you come to an answer. That's a really fair approach, and that's what a lot of people take today is the uh, kind of psychological approach to divination. Um, right. And this is uh, <clears throat> this is what, uh, like, magic practitioners would refer to this kind of thing as shadow work, actively engaging with your unconscious mind and attempting to communicate between your conscious and unconscious. Uh, okay. And things like tarot cards and other cardomantic decks are are useful for this because they are very concentrated elements of symbolism. Right. Which you can study and learn like lists of meanings for with your conscious mind and if you're if you're acquainted with the symbols in the particular deck that you have, your unconscious mind will recognize automatically, and it brings you into some kind of accord. And this is the more structured approach, where you'll find a lot of tarot decks that come with a book that specifically defines what each card means. Right. Uh, but there's another way to do it. Mm -hmm. The uh, the intuitive reading. Yeah, and and. Uh, with the lists of readings and stuff that are handed down traditionally is the is the traditional way to do it. But lately, intuitive style readings have become much more popular. And this is where instead of ever ever even looking at like what the traditional definitions of the card are, you look at the images that you have in front of you and the associations it has for you. They're, they're, they're often very richly decorated, so there's a lot there to see what sticks out in your head. Um, and you can use this as another way of, like, you're, maybe you're trying to receive messages from your unconscious. Maybe you think you're tuning into some energetic frequency and seeing what resonates with that. And maybe it's just a kind of vibe check. Because uh, every single card has positive and negative readings. And if you draw your cards and you look at them, you can see, how am I feeling today? Am I picking out the good or the bad meanings? Hmm. You know what this means, don't you? What? We're going to need to do an intuitive reading of the Sims tarot deck. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to read that one because I don't know the symbols. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
uh, you know, just normal sim stuff like people dying in pools and being set on fire. You know. <laughs> Maybe I'll do a reading for you with a traditional deck, and then you can do a reading for me with the Sims deck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> You're going to get a weird prank caller telling you that the end is near. <laughs> well, see, that's a, gr- oh, that's a great question. What does the what does the Sims card, the weird prank caller, how does that make you feel when you look at it? That's a good question. I've never actually thought about that. I don't know if there's actually a card like that in there, but um, that that's a very to me that's one of the iconic parts of the original right. game. And that that image, how like how do you feel about that? What does it remind you of? I guess randomness. Okay, yeah. Kind of being being taken off guard with like completely random information that you didn't expect to encounter right so if you draw that card in a deck you might well say i think you need to be ready for some weird stuff to happen yeah i i think that could make sense um i mean uh that's one of those things that's vague enough that it could apply apply to nearly any situation i mean exactly and that's kind of what they're supposed to be they have they have tones. Uh, one way that I really had it explained, especially with the major arcana, is that rather than referring to specific events, the the major arcana present perspectives that you can look at any event through. So with an intuitive style reading, is it going to be mostly the major arcana? Like, are you even going to use the minor arcana? Oh, yeah. you. Um, I, I would, especially. And maybe we should explain what those are. The, oh yes, the major arcana being the the most of the famous cards that people know from tarot, like death, the fool, stuff like that. Those mm-hmm. are though the named cards are all the major arcana. Right. Um, the minor arcana are uh, numbered suit cards because a tarot deck is actually basically a Spanish playing card deck that 18th century you know secret society mystics turned into. A magical object right um uh that was an interesting time but yeah and the uh this is this is the same time that the french revolutionaries like carved the apostles off the doors of notre dame and turned it into like a temple mm-hmm. of reason <laughs> <laughs> yeah well um we have uh the origin of the modern tarot deck is really fun because in the Golden Dawn, one of the stages of initiation of your training, uh, because this is in the days before mass production, uh, you would make your own tarot deck. You would paint your own cards because all the cards were hand-painted. I was just going to say, he's not talking about any Nazi order. <laughs> oh, right. I forgot they took that name. Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I'm talking about the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn in the late 1800s in England. He's talking um, about a secret society, you know, the, yeah. the fun version. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so every person's tarot deck at this time would be unique. It would be hand-painted, and it would have some standard elements and references, but it, they could come in very wildly different forms. Uh, then we have uh, a particular team of people... Um, a man named uh, Ryder uh, says, we should make these for mass production. I bet people would buy them because we've had the Industrial Revolution now and we don't have to hand paint our magic cards anymore. <laughs> uh, he hires a man named White, 
who designs these cards. White is not a mystic. Uh, he's just a normal designer, basically. He's a little bit complicated, but that's basically it. Uh, where it gets... And so you have what was for a long time called the Rider deck and then was renamed to the Rider White deck and is now often called the Rider White Smith deck because White designed the cards, but, the, but he hired a woman to paint them named Pamela Smith. And unlike either of the other two people involved, Pamela was a uh, highly ranked member of the Golden Dawn. <laughs> Which neither of them knew, but she painted her own symbolism into the deck. Oh. In, in the background and all the parts of the cards that White did not specify what should be painted. Do we know what this symbolism is? Or is it one uh, of those things where it's like, the secret society is so secret that nobody knows the secrets? We do. Uh, I couldn't tell you much offhand because it's 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 a lot of stuff. But essentially, the, the Golden Dawn was dissolved in the early 1900s. It still kind of exists. But mostly it fragmented into several other organizations. And okay. So a lot of their correspondence and documents are public now. Okay. Um... But, uh, yeah, so increasingly you get the Rider-White-Smith deck because people go, oh, neither of those guys actually painted anything, and this woman contributed a lot more than we knew at the time. And yet her name is still last. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> Thanks, patriarchy. <laughs> Um, so how do you use these tools in your everyday life? Uh, well, uh, historically, mostly for money, uh, because <laughs> I would, uh, I would get paid to read people's, t uh, cards. Oh, right. You were on Fiverr for a little bit. I was. Uh, that was fun. But before I was on Fiverr, I used to, I used to do this in high school. Um, I was the weird goth kid who did magic, and you could pay to read your tarot cards or cast spells. Oh man, did you have like the white makeup and like? No, I was. I was never. Uh, we were in Mississippi, so the standard of what a goth is was really low. Oh. I've just mostly wore black. Oh, my high school had a real goth kid. Oh, like the. Yeah, like like the 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 very white foundation like makeup. The oh god. Black <laughs> lipstick, the the like crazy hair spikes everywhere, the the, the whole nine yards. No, I had I had nothing anywhere near this far. Uh I wore a lot of black and I thought I was edgy sometimes because I had a little black wristband with a skull on it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for Mississippi, you probably were. I mean, <laughs> it was it was the uh, the whitest suburb of Jackson. <laughs> you know, all of Jackson's suburbs are super white, so I'm not really sure. <laughs> I'm not really sure which one that would be, but <laughs> I'm gonna guess Madison. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. It was the whiter suburb of Madison. It was Gluckstadt. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> It was Germantown. Cat, <laughs> <laughs> um, how would you use these today? Um, so, I mean, I am... Uh, I would not say a practicing Wiccan. I, uh, am, well, you kind of are. You celebrate the holidays. 
I am just getting into like the religion and broad strokes and uh, I don't think I've really gotten into the practice of doing magic yet but as far as like tarot readings I have found a use for those um, to uh, kind of influence and inspire writing to uh, draw inspiration from a tarot reading and to, to look at what a story might become if I were to ask about it, and I actually have a really good deck for that, uh, okay. <laughs> I ended up with a copy of the uh, like Mage the Ascension tarot deck and used that for uh, inspiration to Mage-related stories. Um, Ma this is Mage... Mage the Awakening, yes. but they didn't make a Mage the Awakening tarot deck. <laughs> True. Uh, I also also uh, tend to draw and use dice when I cannot make a decision. Uh, not even for, like, trying to pick the result, though sometimes it comes down to that. Um, something that is very relevant to keep in mind that uh, uh, to think about is uh, if you roll a dice or flip a coin to make a decision for yourself, uh, oftentimes you'll, you'll get that last-minute sense of panic that, oh, I actually wanted this, and it will help you break your indecisiveness or realize that you truly have no opinion on the subject. That's a really interesting approach to it. So I think this has been a really good discussion. Uh, uh, this will be our episode. We will be uploading a demonstration of an intuitive tarot reading soon, so be on the lookout for that. Um, and On YouTube. On YouTube. So, you know, that's been our video. Do the YouTube things. Like the channel. Tap the comments. <laughs> like, subscribe, share this with your friends. Um, leave comments. Talk to us, maybe. I don't know. It's join our Discord. Like. Yeah, we have a Discord. You can join our Discord. And uh, the link to that will be in the description. So uh, we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.